We're going to read from uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting on verse 14 through verse 18. That's Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. See if I'm on. There we go. Good. Uh, what a wonderful day. Amen? Already, it's been a good morning in the Lord because we had a chance to celebrate one of our seniors and uh, actually our only senior this year. Uh, some years we have a few and some years we have less but because uh, we're a small church. But uh, love and appreciate Delaney. I've watched her grow up uh, from when she was much younger. And so very excited, Delaney, for you and what God has in store for your life. Uh, you're a blessing. And, uh, and then, of course, it's always good just to have uh, worship and come before the Lord. Uh, just so you know, Deb and Scott Walker, who Deb plays the piano, Scott plays uh, uh, electric guitar, uh, they're not with us this morning because yesterday they married off their daughter, Emily, to Jason Hall. So praise God for that. That's awesome. Good news. So we've got graduates, we've got newlyweds, I mean, the church is alive and well, amen. And my, my daughter-in-love, uh, Victoria Simstrat, my son Mark's wife, she is due to deliver any time. If she gets up quickly and waddles out, you know what's going on. All right, that's good. We're excited, we're excited. So... Uh, want us to turn, if we haven't already, to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in God's Word this morning, as always, verse by verse, just letting the Scripture speak to us, rather than we try to take certain Scriptures and twist them and turn them and make them fit what we want to say. We don't want to preach to itching ears. We want people who desire God's Word, the milk of the Word. And so that's why we've gathered. Hey, let me give you one good report before we get started, because probably four or five of you already before service asked me. So just to give a, uh, a, a report to everybody, I went to Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville this week. That appointment finally took place. I was just blown away by the efficiency of that hospital, by the way. If you have major things happening in your life, that's the place to go. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not trying to disparage local medical uh, field. I'm just saying that Mayo has they have it going. 
And I met with a doctor, and uh, for the first time in six months, I had a physician tell me, you're going to get through this. And, uh, and we have a treatment, a long-term plan, and it's going to work. So praise God for that. I'm thrilled. Some of you might not know what I'm referring to, but for the last six months, without a break, except when I'm on a steroid, I have suffered with tremendous gout pain. And today I'm walking around, I could do a jig right here on this stage. I mean, yesterday I was doing the twist, baby. I mean, I was really having fun at that wedding. So it's a new day. Amen. Amen. So um, thankful for your prayers, for your love and your support. And I know that you do the same for others in this body as I do. We, that's what a family is. We stand with each other. We celebrate the graduations. We celebrate the weddings. And we mourn over those who have loss. And we pray for one another when we're hurting. That's what it means to be part of the family of God, to be part of a fellowship. That's why we go to church. And it's not a location. It's the people. We want to be with people who are like-minded in God. Amen? And we also pray and we share our faith with people in the community that they too might come and find Jesus Christ as their Savior and join his family. So what a beautiful life to live for each of us. Well, we're in this text. Let's start with prayer. Father, as we now turn the page and really just begin to focus in on the Word for the next few moments, I pray that, God, you would quicken the minds of every person in the room that we would begin to see by the Holy Spirit things in the passage that we never saw before. It's not that somehow you're giving some fresh revelation that's never been known by man. There, there, the revelation's been given, but not everybody receives it because their eyes aren't open to receive it. So by the Holy Spirit today, Lord, illuminate hearts, open eyes, open ears, may we receive. And may we not just receive the word as knowledge to be stored but Lord, may we receive the word as a way to live our lives in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen. Well, the first part of our text deals with the subject of complaining. But interestingly enough, if you look at our text, he finishes differently. He says in verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice. Now, he just finished sharing with them about complaining. He's kind of getting on them a little bit because the church in Philippi had some complainers. But he doesn't end there. I love that about God's word. I love that about God. God's not afraid to identify the issues in our life, the sin that can come into our life, right? But he doesn't leave you there. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and so Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, each of us are on a path with God, and there are days where we are more uh, uh, successful in following and obeying than other days. Uh, and what one person struggles with, somebody else has, has mastered. We're not on the same page in terms of the, 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 the suffering, in terms of the, the, the temptation. We're all different. But we all are on the same path of knowing that our God loves us enough to tell us when we're in sin. By the Holy Spirit, he convicts us. And then, then secondly, he's ready to change us at any moment and clean us up and give us hope 
and give us life and fulfillment. I love that. But we're going to deal with the subject at hand, and that is complaining. And let me just say, we live in a society where complaining is the norm. It's just the way it is, okay? I mean, look at the cancel culture. Look at the woke. All that stuff, all of that comes out of a spirit of complaining. In the church, Paul says to Christians, do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, translation, stop complaining. While society is breeding whole generations of complainers, God is communicating through Paul to the church in Philippi and to all believers, including us today, my church is not to be like the world. Stop complaining. Stop it. Isn't it interesting that the most indulgent societies, those societies that seem to be advanced, that seem to be ahead, that seem to have more, where people's lives are easier, isn't it interesting that in those societies, they are typically the most discontent societies? And America's one of them. The more they have, the more dissatisfied they become, the more they complain. Could it be that the selfishness that resides in the heart is the culprit behind the level of complaining that we see in our country today? Could it be that selfishness is the culprit in your personal life? Isn't that what is behind the woke, the cancel culture today? It's built on the foundation of complaining because people today, especially of the younger generation. Now, I'm not saying that all young people are this way. There is a rise of young people today in this nation who love God dearly and who are following God and passionate about God. And they're on the vanguard of whatever God's doing, and we're going to be watching them and growing because of them. So please don't misread. But in this world, this generation today, this, this generation, uh, they're discontent. They're dissatisfied. And if you're discontent, you can easily develop a complaining attitude. You can become resistant to adult responsibility. Everywhere I go, I talk to business owners. Nobody wants to work. They're all looking for help. I love Penny Hill Subs. How many of you like Penny Hill Subs in town? How many of you have never heard of Penny Hill Subs? Oh my goodness. That is a major sin. The corner of 12th Street and Old Dixie Highway in the little plaza right there, Penny Hill Subs, they push the bread down inside the sandwich so it's not this big, thick loaf. And man, is it good. Get the muffaletta. It's got an olive, kind of a, a, a little olive thing that goes in there that I'm telling you, man, you'll want to kiss your mama right on the lips. It is so good. But people today are resistant they're resistant to responsibility. You find something wrong with everything because it's not the way I like it. You end up going through life with a gloomy, disgruntled attitude, finding the need to reject things the way they are. You can't be happy with anything. This whole series in Philippians is about the joy-filled life that God offers believers. What is the origin of this grumbling and complaining? Well, We'd have to go back to the Garden of Eden to really understand it. On the sixth day, God created man. 
Genesis 1.26. Turn, go ahead. Genesis 1.26. Let's look at it together. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, the triune God, after our likeness. He repeats. Whenever there's repetition in Scripture, in Hebrew, when there's repetition, it's emphasis. God's making the point. I am the triune God. And let them have dominion. Let man have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man has dominion. But we have people today who say, man needs to keep his stinking hands off of it. The world would be better off if man wasn't here. We just need to let the birds do what they do, and let's let the bears do what they do, and let's just leave them alone. Let's worship them, because they're more pure than man. That's not the way God designed it. He says man is to have dominion. That doesn't mean man should be reckless. It doesn't mean that man should be careless in caring and stewarding the animals of the world, but it means that he's in control. That's the way God designed I don't like that. Well, grow up. <laughs> so God created man in his own image. In the, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, here it is, here it is. Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the every living thing that moves on the earth. He repeats it again. But this time he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, listen, and fill the earth. What, is this, what, are, what, is, what are the so, social sciences saying today? Too many people on the earth. Direct opposition to God's command. Direct opposition. And God, verse 31, let's go down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was not just good, as he said in other, on other days of creation. On this day, he said, it's very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Is it possible that a strong contributing factor to why there is so much grumbling today because we have not obeyed God's command to be fruitful and multiply? You say, I'm not following you, preacher. You've lost me. Have you ever noticed some of the differences between a small family and a large family? My dad comes from a family of 14 kids. My mom comes from a family of eight kids. I'm sure some of you would say the same of your parents, grandparents, larger families. Today, that's not the case. Let me tell you one of the differences between, that I've noticed between large and small families as a pastor over the years. Small families have more of a propensity to grumble and complain. Children, children in small families, if I'm a single child in a home, more of a chance. I'm not saying that if you're raised as a single child that you're going to be a grumbler. I'm saying there's a greater propensity for grumbling, and I'm going to explain why. Then if you come from a large family, 
And by the way, what our young people are learning in the university is either don't have kids or have one. But you need to manage and steward and not have too many kids. Direct opposition to God. Okay? While God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, are you aware that as a nation in America, that is not happening? We have disobeyed God, and we are suffering the fallout for that right now. And it's going to get a lot worse. New York Times article, it's dated 1987. I found it on the internet. Quote, the average number of people per household in the U.S. in 1850 was 5.5 per family. So a mom and dad and three and a half kids. How do you get the half? So which one are you in line? I'm the half. Okay. Uh, 30 years later, 5.04. By 1900, 4.76. By the 50s, 3.37. By 1987, when this article was produced, 2.68. If we jump ahead to today, 2.4. Half of a kid. America's in serious trouble because you've got to have a lot more than that just to sustain your population of a people group. We're not. And neither is Europe. In Italy, it's 2.4. In France, it's 2.2. In much of Europe, the Muslim people group have completely taken over. Their rate is like six or seven per family. The, so, the social sciences have already said by 2050, Europe will be predominantly Muslim. I'm not talking about fictitious thoughts or this is kind of like my theory on it. This is truth. Unless numbers change, this is truth. What generally happens when you raise a small family? What, what goes on? Well, let's take a snapshot of a family from a dinner table. Mom or dad, whoever, has prepared this meal. It's a wonderful meal. They set it down on the table for their only child. The child looks at it and says, I don't like that. I don't like that. What happens? The parents or the parent, in case of America, it's more now parent, will adjust the family system to meet the demand of the child. Raised in a large family, six, seven kids running around. You sit down at dinner, mom's made the dinner. You sit down, one of the kids says, I don't like that. And the one next to him says, good, I'll take it. <laughs> you learn real quick, that selfish attitude doesn't work here. If I keep that selfish attitude, I ain't going to eat. There's a reason why my dad, we'd have people over for dinner, or, you know, a group of folks, a large group, and he comes from a family of 14. He would pray, and then he'd say, now grab it and ground, don't tell them how. Because that's what he was raised in. If you didn't reach out and get something, you're not going to have anything. It teaches you to get along. It teaches you to have to work together. It teaches you to not have everything just the way you like it in a small family you change the family dynamic to fit the child. In a large, the child changes to fit the system. Do I have an amen on that? Amen. 
That's a good thing. Our country could use that right now. But we don't have it. You know why? Because we've disobeyed God. We're not filling the earth. We're not being fruitful and multiplying at the rate that the Lord tells us to do that. Sermon's over. Go home and make babies. Let's go. Amen. (laughs) So how do we get here from Paul's Telling, Paul telling believers in the church, do all things without grumbling and disputing. I'll tell you how. Our society is crumbling because we're disobedient to God's commands. It leads to a grumbling spirit. It leads to a people that are discontent. It leads to dissatisfaction. And guess what? It has found its way in God's church, and that should not be the case. We have the same attitude as Adam and Eve, who were the first complainers on the earth. We don't like God's rule. We're going to do it our way. They sing that Sinatra song, you know? How's that, how did that work for him? So when God cast them out of the garden, I wonder if God walked up and said, do you like apples? Yeah, we do. How do you like that apple? You're no longer in the garden. I think sometimes we could use a wake-up call, and I think that this message that Paul is giving us is one of those wake-up calls. We're breeding moody, discontent, self-centered people, people who no longer appreciate those who came before them. They no longer want any rules. They no longer want to hear what God has to say. No wonder they're miserable. If I thought and lived that way, I'd be miserable too and you would as well, and maybe some of you are. And how does the church respond to such miserable people? Well, unfortunately, the church tries to come alongside them and comfort them in their pain and change so that they'll like it. Rick Warren, a pastor in California, this is how he decided who he would go after as a pastor. He knocked on doors and asked questions. What is it that, why don't you go to church? What don't you like about church? He walked out with five things that most people who don't go to church don't like. And he said, we're going to do those five things. Changing the order that God has put in place for how we should do church. Now, I'm not saying that everything Rick Warren has said or done is wrong. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not throwing him on the scrap heap. I'm saying that is the wrong approach. It just is. We are to come up to the standard of God. We're not to lower the standard of God. So how does the church respond? By the way, it's interesting that when God confronted Adam and Eve with their self-centeredness, because they said we can be like, that's what Satan told them, you can be like God. Oh, well, we'll go that route. That's better. And God comes to Adam in the cool of the day looking for Adam. Well, Adam's hiding. Why? Because he's eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now he knows he's naked. He didn't know it before. He didn't know anything wrong. It wasn't wrong. Now it is wrong. He's hiding. Genesis 3, verse 11. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? 
And the man said, listen now, listen to these words. Because immediately what most of you are thinking right now is he blamed the woman, right? It's her fault. Look here. Uh-uh. The woman, he said, when God said, what happened? Why? His response, the woman whom you gave to me. You, God, you're the problem. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And we've never stopped complaining since. If you're clothed in flesh and blood, there's a tendency in you, you want to complain, you want to gripe, you want to murmur, and all the other things that go with it. We've never stopped complaining. Cain complained to God about God's work in his life. Moses complained to God for, for not doing what he wanted him to do when he wanted him to do it. Aaron and Miriam complained to God against Moses, his chosen leader and their own brother. Jonah complained to God because he was mad at, the, at God for wanting to save the Ninevites. Man's always complained. I could go on and on in the scripture. Let me just suffice to say that complaining to God comes natural to man in his fallen, sinful state. Truth be known, all of our complaints in one way or another, and this is a big point, all of our complaints in one way or another, no matter who we're pointing at, no matter what we're pointing at, all of our complaints in one way or another are complaints against the providential purpose of God's will. Your issue is with God. You might be calling out somebody's name and complaining about them, but ultimately they are made in the image of God. Your problem is you don't like what God has done. You're going to have to work out your salvation. This is very important. Paul just covered that whole subject for us that we just studied recently. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about you being saved in the sense of you could lose your salvation. He's saying that every day you live, you live out the salvation that I've given you. And you have, to, you have to sanctify. You have to set yourself apart in order to do that. Don't be like the world. Don't let fleshly tendencies rule you. You are now a child of God. The old has died. The new has come. I'm a new person. Live it. Act like it. Walk in it. Paul has just told the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And now he adds to it the basic attitude in working out your salvation is an attitude that does not complain. Amen. No room for complaining. For some of us, that would just destroy our day if we couldn't complain. Man, I, I use up a lot of my energy and time in the day for complaining. I, what do you mean I can't complain? That's what keeps me going. They treat it like a spiritual gift. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? The circumstances aren't always going to be wonderful and perfect. And here's the reality. You're not wonderful and perfect either. I know that's a shock for some of you this morning. Preacher. Just ask your spouse. Ask your best friend. People who really will be honest with you. They'll, they'll bring you up to speed. See, there's no idealistic world, and you're certainly not an idealistic person. We're all in this together. We're all children of Adam. We have the same tendencies as Adam. 
You're going to have to work out your salvation in all things that you do, and in all circumstances you find yourself. Stop complaining. God hates complaining. You say, that's a strong word. I mean it. It's in the Bible. God hates complaining. Let me give you one example. It's a good one. So God releases the children of Israel from bondage under the Egyptians. They cross the Red Sea. They cross the wilderness. The whole trip doesn't take but just a few days. They get to the edge of the promised land. They send in 12 spies. The spies come back. Ten of them said, oh, my goodness. Yeah, the land flows with milk and honey. But I'm telling you right now, there are fortified cities in that land. We cannot overtake them. And the people there are giants. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. We cannot go in there. And only Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 spies, said, are you kidding me? Our God has given us this land. Let's by faith take it. The people listened to the 10. They started grumbling and complaining and saying, why did God, br no, why did Moses bring us out here? So that we could die? No, I had it right the first time. Why did God put us in this situation? You know how I know it was God? Because how did God respond? He took it personal. And he kept them out of the promised land for 40 years until that generation died. Then he brought their children in. God hates complaining. He hates it. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you see the picture there? He's saying, okay, there's a world that's fallen, it's dark, and then there's you, and you are to shine the light of Christ. You are to dispel the darkness by how you live in this world. The reason you don't want to complain is because it hurts the witness of Jesus Christ in you. Stop it. Holding fast to the word of the life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud of that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So that's the standard. Now we have to live up to it. Even James gives a strong warning to Christians. James chapter 5, verse 9. Let me just read it for you if you want to write it down. James 5, 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. So who is James speaking with? Believers. And he's saying to believers, don't grumble in the church. He, he goes further. He says, so that you may not be judged. What? What? Don't grumble, because if you grumble, you're going to be judged. Wait a minute. This is, this is James. This was written after Jesus went to the cross. God's still bringing judgment? Yes. In the end, there's going to be a judgment. He, he, he says this. The judge is standing at the door. Don't complain. God's watching. He's listening. And he will measure out justice in the end. The idea is that when you grumble and complain, you're really doing it against God. It's not about the issue at hand. It's deeper than that. You're grumbling against him. The Israelites, again, they're the problem. The goal that Paul is after here is to get believers to accept the providential plan of God. Whatever is going on, good, bad, indifferent, it doesn't matter if it's a person that you're struggling with because they're just a pain 
Or it's a situation that you're having to live in. It's a place you have to work that's miserable. Listen, God's providential hand at this time has you there. There are lessons to learn. I can tell you I have not enjoyed the last six months of my life, physically speaking. Being, being delegated to a chair where I can't do anything. I can't even get up and go to the bathroom. It was so bad for three days. And always in pain. Walking, it, felt, it feels like, what does it feel like when you have gout in your feet? It feels like you're, you have shards of glass inside your joints. And when you put pressure, watch out. Really, that's what it is. That's a great description of it. And by the way, it is uric acid that crystallizes in your joint. So it is shards of of like glass. Um, I was talking with Bruce Berlin, one of our elders before service, and we were sharing stories out of our lives and how God uses trials and troubles that come our way. And I shared with him, you know, when I didn't know that I would ever make a comeback. I I thought, this could be it. This is how I'm going to live the rest of my life. I said, Bruce, honestly, I still had joy. I had joy in the Lord. And because God obviously knew my situation, it's not like he's ignorant of it. It's not like I had to pray and say, God, can I bring you up to speed on something? I'm not sure you're aware, but I've had gout for the last six months, and the pain is unbearable at times. It's not like he was surprised and went, Oh, my goodness, really? Well, let me, let me see what I can do about that. God knew. God oftentimes, listen, orders it up because he's trying to test you. He's trying to strengthen your faith and belief in him. So he uses the pain. That's what our Christian counselor told us when Rini and I went after a very painful time in our life. He said, suck the life out of the pain. So true. And, and that's what Paul's up to here. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul is really trying to get them to understand that you can have a joyful heart. You can have a thankful heart. You can go without grumbling and complaining. You, can not, you don't have to use grumbling words. You don't have to dispute. You don't have to argue. Go before God and say, Father, I don't know why you're doing this, but Lord, if you've ordered this up in my life, if this is your providential hand at this time, and it is, then Lord, teach me the things I need to learn. Instead of, why are you doing this? Why is that person so cruel? Why would you let me have a job like this? Why, 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 why? Instead of that, what, Lord, are you trying to say to me? What are you doing in my life? How are you going to use this to grow me in my faith? Oh, that's a much better life to live. Amen? So stop complaining. This is a real problem for Christians. Have you ever eaten a TV dinner? When I was a kid, just every once in a while, my mom cooked from scratch everything. And man, it was good. But every once in a while, she'd let us have a TV dinner. Or I'd go to my friend Lawrence Wainwright's house, and I'd get to have a TV dinner. And when I was a kid, TV dinners came on on aluminum trays, compartmentalized with an aluminum cover. There's no microwave. You stick that bad boy in the oven. Okay? 
you got your Salisbury steak, you got your peas, you got your mashed potatoes, and you got that cherry cobbler. <laughs> and you just couldn't wait for that oven to heat that thing up where you could pull that, that aluminum off and have that wonderful meal. Unfortunately, this is how many Christians live their life in God. I go to church on Sunday and I don't complain. But when Monday comes, I call my boss an idiot. On Saturday, I'm complaining because my neighbor got up too early to crank the lawnmower up. All through the week, complaining, complaining, you're compartmentalizing. I'm good on Sunday, but other days I get to do it my way. No! God has called you not to be a TV dinner. You are called to be a Swanson's chicken pot pie. <laughs> it is all mixed in. You stick it in the oven, and man, it just kind of comes together. That's who you are. Bunch of chicken pot pies, if you're in the Lord. I'm, I'm glad I'm saying this towards the end of the message because you're getting hungry now. But I'll bet you 99.9 .9 of you will not go out and have a chicken pot pie. Paul's saying that this is not the idea behind living out your salvation with fear and trembling in regards to complaining, that we compartmentalize, that our, 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 our different areas of our life, we act differently. No, you are to be a whole person under the whole counsel of God, and you live your life in integrity. To be integral means that it all fits. The opposite of integral is disintegral. You're disintegrating. Some of us have been living our Christian lives in a state of disintegration. Nothing fits because we've compartmentalized. By the way, Andrea, I've had four weddings in the last five weeks. Two of them were cakes that you made. And I'm going to tell you right now, wow. Now, I don't know that she wants anybody to come to her about making a cake. She's probably going, no, Pastor Greg, please don't do that. But I'm telling you, some good stuff. But listen. In every part of our life, every part of our life, we need to be the same person. Because if you're not, let me tell you what the fallout is. You have no witness for Jesus Christ. Jesus did not save you in parts. He saved all of you. Amen? And you've got to work out your salvation regarding fear and grumbling and all that stuff. You've got to work it out. You say, why is it important that I work it out? Well, verse 15 tells you why. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. These are the kinds of children God saves. Okay? He saves people who are whole, who go out in the world and their witness is complete. Their witness has integrity. You're above reproach. To be above reproach means this. Nobody can point a finger at me. I've not given them a reason to point a finger at me. Now, some people will complain about anything and still point the finger. But you know in your heart, no, I'm living a whole life in God. I'm trying to be the same at church as I am at work, as I am at home, as I am in my neighborhood. I want to be the same person all the time. And that way, nobody can really point a finger at you. Now you have a witness for Jesus. If you're a child of God, then live the way a child of God should live. How is that? Manifesting the characters of God. Walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians. How we live has a dramatic impact on how 
we affect the world as a witness for Christ. Stop grumbling. Paul says, stop complaining. Stop arguing with God. Obey God joyfully. Work out your salvation without complaining. Hold out the gospel that others might see it in your life, that they might come to Christ as well. The Holy Spirit uses our witness to help others. I love the parable of the sower, which really isn't about the sower. It should be the parable of the soils. The whole parable is about the four types of soil. Three of the four are not fertile soil. And people hear the word of God because the sower is faithful to spread the seed. It's the first time in the Bible that it uses the word broadcast. Your role as a sower is to go in this world and have a feed bag and you just throw seed everywhere you go. You throw seed. The sower was not discriminate. He didn't say, ooh, i got to be careful because there's a hard path. If I let some seed land on that hard path, it's not going to take root. Oh, there's, there's, there's some rocks. Over here, some weeds. i got to be real careful to just lay the seed down where I see fertile soil. No, 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 no. Jesus said the product or the uh, the that the sower will go out and he just throws it everywhere. He's consistent. She's consistent. She's not measuring who she thinks will receive the seed. That's not your business. That wasn't the role of the sower. That's God's role. Your role is real simple. Get your hand in the seed bag and throw it everywhere, every day. And the reason that that seed is able to become more fertile is because your life reflects Jesus, every part of your life, not just the part of you that comes on Sunday. So it's your joyful, thankful, positive, enthusiastic trust in and love for and obedience to God that makes your witnessing effective. Church, Let's go out this week and witness. Amen? Let's do the work that God's called us to do, and let's not grumble and complain. And just in case some of you are wondering, I did not preach this sermon because we've had a rising up of complaining and grumblers in the church. I'm preaching it because that's the next passage in the Scripture that we're studying. We let the Word of God speak to us. We don't skip over passages that are hard or difficult. And we, I could care less about trying to please you. I fear God more than I fear you. So we want to be faithful to the word. That's what God's given us. Let's practice it. Amen? All right. Father, this morning, I know that this hits every one of us. It might hit us a little differently because we're all unique. But we are all children of God who know you if we're saved. And I'm praying that, Lord, those who are saved in the room would hear what you are saying through your Apostle Paul and that we would line up, we would join you, join your providential will for our lives and for our families and for this world. God, may we be on your team. May we carry out your great commission. Father, for those who are here that are not saved, Father, oh, how we pray that they would come to understand that you are the triune God and the second person of the Trinity 
your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth, fully God, fully man. He came for one reason, to die. To die for the sins that we committed. And we are today so ever thankful and grateful that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, obeyed you, came in your providential plan, carried it out to completion, becoming our substitute on the cross so that you and your wrath and your anger against sin and the sinner could be satisfied by his death. And the beauty is that we don't have to do something to receive the full release from our sin debt. Jesus, you did it for us. All that you're asking us to do is sense and know that, God, you are calling the sinner to repentance, and you are going to enable them to repent and give them the faith to believe in the work of Jesus on the cross. Oh, God, today, may that happen right now in the room. Anyone here who does not personally have a relationship with Jesus, that they would, by faith, receive the work of the cross, the gospel, and with a repentant heart, confess to you that they are a sinner and they're in desperate need of your saving grace, and then receive it. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. This life is worth living when you're in it. And I pray that God, somehow we can have an impact on this society that's going in the wrong direction and that people can be saved through us and our witness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have elders and we have uh, prayer partners who will come and stand across the front. If you would like prayer for any need in your life, prayer is vital here at Vero Bible Fellowship. We would be delighted to pray with you about any matter, any one of them, just walk up to one of them. And then secondly, if you, re if you receive the Lord today by faith, if you prayed to receive him, listen, come up and tell someone. We'd like to write your name down. We'd like to celebrate that victory. The Bible says that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And that would be you if you got saved. Heaven right now is celebrating you. And so come and tell us. We'd like to celebrate with you as well. All right? God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Go out this week. Be salt and light. Amen.